what a wonderful work God is doing at Bureau Bible. And I want to tell you, there, there's always possibilities on the horizon. And we've, uh, we've, we've been pursuing those as they open up for maybe a building. And we're going to continue to do that in the future. And, uh, but be praying that way. Pray that the Lord would open the right door and it would be exactly what God wants for us. Amen? And it can happen, and I know that in the Lord's timing it will happen. So let's never lose hope. Let's, let's continue. You know, we're a bunch of nomads. We're like the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. Hopefully it's not 40, though, right? It has been four. It's been four years. And to me, that's long enough. But, uh, but we will remain faithful to God. And the beautiful thing is, whether you have a building or not, you still have the Lord. And if you have the Lord, that's all you need. And, uh, and so I'm thankful to God. Well, tonight we're going to be in chapter 12 of 2 Kings. And this is a, really a short chapter. And if you just read the chapter, you go, okay. And you're ready to move, move on to the next chapter. It doesn't appear that there's much here. And I got to tell you, after all day of study, uh, there's still not a lot there, <laughs> but, uh, but we are going to bring out the things that I think are behind the scenes going on that relate to chapter 12. So uh, if you've been studying with us for any length of time, you know that the majority of 2 Kings is looking at the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom. And of course, there were no good kings in the north. And there were very few good kings in the south, in Judah. And this week, we shift away from the northern kingdom, where we've been studying Jehu, the king, who brought reform to uh, Israel. Now we come down, uh, 2 Kings 12 focuses on a brand new king in the south. And of course, uh, if you recall, Athaliah was the queen, or the woman who called herself queen, and she was uh, married to uh, Ahab, and, or I'm sorry, she was married, she was the sister, and her son became king after her, and both of them were wicked in the southern kingdom. And so now God is moving, God is doing something, and oftentimes God intervenes. It looks like He's just intervening, which makes it sound like something's gone on, now He has to come in and do something. No, God's plan is way out in front of all of our plans. And so it's not Him intervening because of something that's happened. It, this was God's plan from the beginning. And so we're going to pick it up at verse 1. It says, in the seventh year of Jehu. So it's basically, it's basically telling us, it's chapter 12 here. It, it's telling us that... Uh, they're basing this new king on Jehu's reign, when Jehu in the northern kingdom reigned. So in the seventh year of King Jehu, his name is Joahash, but it's also Joash. Uh, the, the, it's a variant of names. It means the same thing. So if you see in your Bible, it says Joash, and in my Bible, it reads Jeho, uh, Jehoash. I'm going to just go with Joash. That's the easier spelling of it, okay? And pronunciation. So in the seventh year of Jehu, Joash began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebia of Beersheba, and Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days, because he did what was right because Jehoiada 
the priest instructed him. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. The people continued to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. So let me break down that entry or that introduction of this chapter. It says the people continued to sacrifice and make offerings on the high places. Now, as with most of the kings of Judah, Joash failed to remove these high places, these places of worship. You say, where'd they come from? Well, the Canaanites, before the Israelites moved into the land, the promised land, the Canaanites had built these high places for the worship of false gods. Earlene, what are you doing carrying that? You're not supposed to do that. Oh, my goodness. Let me hand that thing over here. I know you're strong. Not questioning that, but thank you. Thank you very much, Earlene. Um, can you still see me okay? Okay, great. Uh, so so they, they built these high places, the, the, the uh, Canaanites. And so when Israel took over the land, they didn't remove them. And, and when they first came into the land, they didn't have a, a temple. So God allowed the Israelites to make worship of God, not false idols, but of God on these high places. They dismantled the idols that were worshipped there, and they used the high places to worship the Lord. For a season of time, God said, that's okay, because you don't have a temple. But once the temple was built, Deuteronomy says, no longer are you to worship anywhere except at the temple. So the fact that these high places are still there means people are still worshiping. And they're worshiping God, most of them, on the high places rather than at the temple. The temple at this time would have been about 124 years old. And the temple had fallen into disrepair. And we're going to learn more about that in just a moment. To go back and look at Joash just for a moment, uh, Joash, it says that he that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all his days because Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him. He didn't do right all of his days. He did right as long as Jehoiada was the priest. Second Chronicles is, it records that, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. But this is a very interesting story regarding Joash, this new king. He is a boy king. He's just a kid. This is, the, this is the boy who his servant, or his it was uh, the wife of the priest, Jehoiada, his wife, when Athaliah was trying to kill off all of her grandchildren so she could have the throne, the wife of the priest took this boy and hid him in the temple. He was one year old when that happened. He lived in the temple, hidden away from Athaliah, for six years. And then, of course, God dealt severely with Athaliah. She was no longer in the picture. And then Jehoiada, the husband of the woman who hid him, uh, the priest, he raised him up and said, this is the rightful king of Judah. He is of the bloodline, the lineage of David, King David. So uh, he became king at the age of seven. That means that really... 
He's a puppet king. He was a puppet to Jehoiada, the high priest. But this is a good thing, because Jehoiada, the high priest, was a very good priest. In fact, it says at Jehoiada's death at the age of 124, that, that he was buried with the kings and the nobles of Judah because he was such a good priest. So this boy at the age of seven becomes king and he has this mentor who really is guiding him through all of his decisions and he's being guided well. But when he reached a certain age and when Jehoiada died, this king was influenced by outside sources, the princes of Jerusalem. And these guys led him astray into false idol worship on the high places. And of course, from there, things went downhill. Uh, God blesses obedience, and God brings in the Old Testament judgment when there's disobedience. And because and, and the, the judgment that was brought against Judah... In, in this scenario, was because of, specifically, Joash, the king. But he started out well. So let me talk about that for just a second. So you remember that Jehu dealt severely with anybody connected with Jezebel or Ahab, who was the former king. And, and then it even went into the southern kingdom because family members, relatives of, of Jezebel and Ahab, were ruling in the southern kingdom of Judah. So they dealt with those folks as well. So now there's a clean slate, and Jehoiada knows it, the priest. So he raises up this boy, and the goal is to bring reform to the land of Judah. Athalia and her son, they both, did not, they didn't destroy, but they, they, they did great harm to the temple of God. They removed the furniture. They removed many of the utensils, many of the, the wonderful treasures of the temple, and used them for the purpose of idol worship. Can you imagine? And so great harm had been done to the southern kingdom. So Jehoiada, through the king, is wanting to bring reform. He's wanting revival to come to Judah. And so one of the first ways to initiate a revival, and you have to understand in the Old Testament, you had the tabernacle before you had the temple. And a God would, His presence would come down, the cloud would rest over the tabernacle when Moses would go in and talk with the Lord, face to face like two friends, really. Uh, Moses never saw the face of God. I'm not trying to mislead you there. But they had that close relationship. Well, then the temple was built. And this was the place where God orchestrated that in the Holy of Holies, no man could enter except once a year, and that be the high priest, after going through a cleansing process. And, and the outer, the, the holy place, which is the outer chamber, only priests could go in, and they had to light the incense in the correct manner. And everything was set up. The whole temple, the inner, that inner sanctum, was done in gold and in beautiful uh, fabric, and it was a, to be a symbol, a picture, a type of heaven. God wanted it to be like heaven when they, you came into that inner chamber, the Holy of Holies. Could you imagine that? 
when, when, before I was a kid, um, you know, they only had radio. When I was a kid, we had TV, okay? Black and white, uh, this big, big TV would sit there, and we got one, and you could see black and white. You could watch Howdy Doody. You could watch, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm dating myself. Uh, and when I, also, Romper Room. That lady, Miss Nancy, never called my name at the close of Romper Room. She'd help hold up that magic mirror, and it would spin, you know. And she'd say, I see Susan, I see Kathy, I see Shirley, I see... I, and she would call out the names. And I'm like sitting there on the edge, waving, you know, here I am. Never Greg. <laughs> so I was really tormented as a child. I suffered uh, trauma as a kid. <laughs> the other show that I liked was came on Sunday mornings early. It was the Thunderbirds. Remember that? With the little, the little uh, uh, puppets of these rocket men. And they would come out, they'd climb in their jet, and they'd take off. I mean, just simple stuff. Okay, so we had that. But before I was, before I was old enough, you guys, some of you might remember the radio. That was the way of, of, of entertainment. The family would sit around the radio. Anybody here identify with that? Mom, I know you do, right? Okay, Keith, you do. You, yeah, you sit around the radio, and you'd listen to the shows. Remember this one? It would start out with a door that's creaking. Okay, inner sanctum, inner sanctum. And, and I often, I, I read about that, you know, and I thought what that must have been like to not see, but to only hear. And that allows your imagination to really draw a picture that's even different, you know, it's kind of cool. But I was thinking, that's what the Holy of Holies was like. It's the inner sanctum. Nobody could go in except one man once a year who went through the right cleansing rites. So this is the way it was. And you had a temple, and that's the only place. So Jews would travel who lived in other you know, regions around Jerusalem, even in the northern kingdom before there was a northern kingdom, when that was just part of Israel. They would travel to worship at the temple. And that had not been happening. Now they're worshiping on all these different high places as if there is no temple. And because of it, the temple falls into disrepair. The priests are still at the temple, but people aren't going there, not like they should. So part of reform was you start with reform of the temple. Now, if a church is looking for revival, you want to be revived, you want to you want to see God bring repentance to the people and a refreshing of His Spirit upon the, the church. You don't do that by painting the walls of the church and doing some construction work. That, but see, our church buildings today are not the same thing as the temple in the Old Testament. That was, that was everything. That's where God's presence would meet you, okay? So that's why the first thing that Jehoiada told the king to enact was the repair work on the temple. We're going to have revival here. We're going we're to come back to God. We're going to have reform. After all that nonsense that all the relatives of Je Jezebel and, 
and Ahab brought upon us. Now we're going to return to the Lord. Let's start with the temple. Now, interestingly, remember now, we haven't studied this yet. In fact, I'm thinking that maybe we will go to Nehemiah next and study Nehemiah. Here's why. Because Kings ends with the kingdoms, northern and southern, being hauled off into captivity. Nehemiah picks up the close of the captivity and the return to Jerusalem. And if you remember, one of the things that happens early in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer to a pagan king in a foreign land, and he hears, he gets word that the temple and the city of Jerusalem, the holy city, and the walls of the city have been completely decimated. There's nothing. And the few Jews that had returned had nothing. And this burdened his heart deeply, and he began to fast and pray to ask the Lord what he should do. And the Lord said, I want you to return, and I want you to rebuild the walls so that we can then rebuild the temple. We can reconstruct the reform that my people will have when they return, knowing after 70 years you've been disobedient, God had you hauled off in judgment, but now you're returning. It's time to return to the Lord. And boy, did they. If you remember, uh, it was, uh, who was the scribe? Ezra. Ezra, when they returned to Jerusalem, all the people. And by the way, they don't even know who each other are necessarily because they've had children. The last generation in 70 years possibly died off. So these are people who are Jewish. They know this is their home. They don't even know what tribe. Some of them don't even know what tribe they're part of. The, the new ones, you know why? Because, because when the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem, they literally wiped out all the records. So the, the Jews did not know which tribe they were from. So here they come back, and they're just walking around this decimated land, and what do we do? What's, how, we we want to return to God. We don't have and Ezra finds the book of the scroll. He finds the word of God. And he goes to the king or to Nehemiah, the cupbearer, who now is like a governor, and he says, "I found the book of the law." And Nehemiah said, "Read it." And they gathered all the people who stood, get this from sun up until noonday, six hours, they stood, they didn't sit, they stood and listened as the Holy Scripture was read to them. They were that hungry, that ready to return to God. Wow. I, I want to study that book. I think that'll be a great study for us. Really do. In fact, we might even just do it on a Sunday morning. Who knows? I don't know. But anyway, so, so we see here this wonderful priest trying to start the reform by the repair work necessary for the temple of God. This is the beginning point, okay? Now, turn in your Bible, because I want to go back and forth tonight for the time we have. I want to go back and forth between our text and 2 Chronicles 
primarily chapter 24, because chapter 24 deals with Joash, this particular king. Now, let me ex you might want to write this down. This might be helpful to you, okay? The kings record the discipline or the punishment of God for the Israelites. The chronicles record the sins that brought on that discipline and punishment. If you really want to be able in your mind to understand why do we have kings and chronicles calling out the same stories, one is focused on the actual punishment and judgment. The other is focused on the sins that were committed. Okay? So now let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 24. It, this is, it tells us that after Jehoiada's death, this is the priest, the good priest, Joash turned to idolatry and, and judgment followed him. Okay? Look at verse 15, 2 Chronicles 24, 15. But Jehoiada grew old and full of days, and he died. He, I'm sorry, I said he's 124. He was 130. That's a good life. Amen. Amen. And, and they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel and toward God and his house. Now, verse 17, after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah, that would be the nobles, the, the leaders of Judah, came and paid homage to this king who is now in his 30s, probably around 30 years old, Joash. Then the king listened to them, and they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. So these guys come in, they speak with the 30-year-old king. Now that Jehoiada is out of the picture, this old guy, this old geezer who had him focused on God, let's go ahead and expand. We've got to be bigger than that. There's other gods that we can serve. People want all kinds of gods. We've got the high places already. Let's set them up for the worship of pagans. And, and he, he went along with it. He listened to them. He allowed them to do it. He made the decrees that allowed for the worship of idols among God's people again. So they've returned to the very thing that they were reforming from. So the reform was only as good, listen, the reform was only as good as Jehoiada, the priest. That tells you it really wasn't in the heart of this king. He was easily led by others. First he was led by the right person, Jehoiada. But then when Jehoiada's gone, now he's being led by this other group that are evil. He's not standing on his own two feet. He's not strong enough to do that for whatever reason. He's a weak leader. And weak leaders will not stand for God when times are tough. And that's exactly what's happened here. He gets a little pressure from a bunch of guys outside Jerusalem, and he caves into them. And he goes along and writes up the decrees for the worship of idols. God forbid. Now let's go back, if you will, please. Well, no, let's keep going here for a second, because this, this is good. Uh, verse 18, the latter part of the verse. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. Oh, I love that. So God is judging Joash and Israel for the worship of false gods. 
But while judgment is upon them, it says the Lord also sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. I want you to see that in the character of our God. Even when He brings judgment, He still is calling out with mercy, repent, turn back to Me. He sent prophets to help them to repent, to call them to repentance. This is God. This, this idea in the Old Testament that God is only a God of wrath and judgment, you've heard people say that. They're missing this. That same God of wrath and judgment is still trying to reach them. And by the way, God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Revelation, when the 21 judgments of God fall upon this earth, upon the, the, the unbelieving Literally, all these 21 judgments that are severe will impact the entire earth. One of the judgments is that a third or two-thirds of the sea will rot. All the fish, all the sea creatures will float to the surface, bloated. The, 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 the ice caps on the highest mountains on the earth are going to melt. There, there's going to be Literally, chunks of ice, a hundred pound chunks of ice falling from the sky on this earth. God bringing 21 different judgments to the earth. And in the midst of it all, while these judgments are happening and God is judging, angels are going to be flying through the air and calling out, God is just. He is just in this judgment. Turn from your sin. In the midst of the judgment, God's still trying to reach people before it's too late. That is your God. He never, there's never a time where while His judgment is being acted, enacted, His mercy is missing. It's not like he's one or the other. He's either loving or he's judgmental. He's always holy, which means there always has to be a holiness, a purity, a righteousness, and at the same time, a judgment for things that are not holy and righteous and pure. And at the same time, mercy and grace and love for those who are being judged. We're living in that day right now. You do understand that. We are living in a day. This is the church age. This is the age when God, through the church, is spreading the gospel upon the whole earth, wanting everybody to hear. The Bible says He doesn't wish that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. This is the age that we're in. So while God is storing up wrath against the unrighteous, because by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth, Romans says. They're choosing. He says they're, they're without excuse, by the way. They know that I exist because it's written in the sky. You can't look up and not know that there's a great God that created this. But they deny it. They suppress that in unrighteousness. At the same time, 
on the same earth to the same people. God's calling out through you and I. We're now serving like the angels will at the end. We're now serving like the prophets that He sent in the day of Joash. Calling out the gospel to the very people who have suppressed God in unrighteousness, that they might turn from their wickedness and they might be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? It's amazing how all of the Bible fits. It all fits. So here we see this, you know. So here in verse 19, Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. Oh my goodness. The prophets are calling them out. You're in sin. Turn. And they ignored, just like people in our day, just like in the end times, as the Lord before the Lord returns. So while God's righteousness, well, actually it's after the Lord returns. So while God's righteousness judged the evil of Judah, at the same time His mercy sent prophets. And then verse 20, Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, not to be mistaken with the book of Zechariah. That's a, different, that's a prophet. That's a different man. This is the son of the priest Jehoiada. The Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. And he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God. He's speaking in the words of a prophet. Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Why would you not want to prosper? Because you have, here, and then he gives the answer, because you have forsaken the Lord. And because you've forsaken the Lord, He has forsaken you. So this, this, again, this is not Zechariah that we know of, who is the son of Berechiah. This is Zechariah, the son of Joida, who's mentioned, by the way, three different times, or two, really two different times in the New Testament. This little Zechariah, the son of the priest, he's mentioned, and might want to write it down, Acts chapter 7, verse 51 and 52. And then he's also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37. He was willing to stand in a day when to stand would mean you probably will lose your life. His daddy was a good dad. He raised this boy right. The father, Jehoiada, he had great fear of the Lord. And this boy was raised to fear the Lord. And so what God called him by the Spirit to rise up and speak in a day when nobody was listening, he did exactly as the Lord had asked. Oh, Hebrews 11.37. Yes. So let's look at verse 21. We're still in 2 Chronicles. But they conspired against him. And by command of the king, Joash, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. In the courtyard of the temple, they stoned him. Thus, Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. So Zechariah, as he's dying, said, May the Lord see and avenge. And at the end of the year, 
the army of the Syrians came, upon, came up against Joash. And they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed who? All the princes of the people. Who were the princes again? The ones that when the priests died, went to the king and said, it's time for us to worship the false gods. Let's, they didn't call them false gods. Let's worship the Asherim. Let's worship Baal and all these on the high places. God specifically first destroys them among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus, Syria. Okay? So I want to just focus on this for a second because I want you to see the, the brevity of it. Joash didn't remember, he said. Joash didn't remember the goodness, the kindness that the priest had done for him. I want to talk about that for just a second. He didn't remember, first of all, write this down if you will, uh, um, chapter 22, verse 11. And this would be in the Second Chronicles, I'm sorry. In Second Chronicles, chapter 22, verse 11. He didn't remember how it was the priest Jehoiada's wife who hid him away from Athaliah so she could not kill him. So the mother who hid him away for the Lord to restore and to keep in order to keep uh, the line of David moving forward, this guy killed her son. Okay? So 2 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 10. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family of the house of Judah. But Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were about to be put to death, and she put him and, and, and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king Jehoram, and the wife of Jehoiada, the priest, because she was a sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Atalia, so that she did not put him to death. And he remained with them six years, hidden in the house of God, while Athaliah reigned over the land. There it is. He didn't remember that. Now, I believe he willfully did not remember that. And I think the text will play out and show you. There's another thing. He also chose not to remember how the priest himself devised a plan to dethrone Athaliah and crown Joash king. If you want the reference, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 2 is where it begins where Jehoiada is acknowledged as the voice of righteousness for Joash. Joash willfully ignored all of these things that God had done for him. Remember how Jehoiada, when he turned seven years old and the queen and, the, and Athaliah was dead, or actually she was still living, but he wrote, he brought him up, and then he revealed that this is the bloodline of David. He is the rightful king, and he called all the guards to come in and to protect the, the true king, and they did. Jehoiada did that. So Joash is forgetting that as well. He's, he's choosing not to remember that. So Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, died pronouncing the just doom that he would eventually, that would eventually come, and God repaid Joash's apostasy with defeat by Syria and death at the hands of his own people. 
there's a takeaway here, and that is that the people were so addicted to these high places, okay, for 124 years, even, even during the time that the, that, the, that the temple was built. They still went to the high places, and the kings, didn't, they didn't destroy them. And so uh, this, is, this is the story of Joash as well. So let's go back to our text in 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 4. Joash said to the priest, all the money, now, now so this is, he's, he's just getting started. He's under the influence of the priest, and here's what he said. All the money of the holy things that is brought into the house of the Lord, the money for which each man is assessed, the money from the assessment of persons, and the money that a man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord. Let the priest take each from his donor and let them repair the house whenever or wherever any need of repairs is discovered. So this is going back now. Reform is starting in the house of the Lord. And this is Joash, the young king, under the influence of Jehoiada, saying, I want to repair the, the temple. So let's, there's three different sources of income that I want you to bring as priests together to repair what is in disrepair. Okay? Now, let me talk about these offerings quickly. Uh, these, these are sources of income that are brought to the temple, three different sources. One is called each man's census money. Each man's census money. That was a half a shekel that each Israelite older than the age of 20 had to pay once a year. So you had to bring a half of a shekel once a year to the temple. Okay. The second source is called the payment of personal vows. The payment of personal vows. This was kind of like a property tax, except uh, it was based on your personal assessment of your land. So you yourself would assess your land and you would bring a tax for your property to the Lord. But it was your personal vow that you made, okay? If you want the text for that, I'm not going to read it, but Leviticus chapter 27, verses 1 through 8 is where you find it. Leviticus 27, verses 1 through 8, okay? He talks about that. And then the third income that he wanted to be handed over uh, or taken and used for the repair of the temple was called the voluntary offering, okay? These were freely given offerings over and above the required donations. By the way, just as a reminder, because I've said this before, we often think of the Israelites giving a tenth unto God once a year. They'd bring a tenth. Not true. They did bring a tenth to the temple, but Israel under a theocracy, T-H-E-O, T-O, God, God governance. God's plan in God's policy making was that the Israelites would pay approximately 26% of their income a year for the nation. It covered everything from the great feasts that they would have. Of course, there were many feasts, but there were three major feasts that you had to attend. It also covered uh, the poor, the tax for the poor to provide for them. It also provided a tax for the carrying for, for caring for the temple and the utensils and the supplies 
and you know everything they needed. It also provided for the priest. That's how they drew their income was from the people. Okay, so it amounted to twenty six percent a year. That's what you would have to pay under God's. Some people think, well, I wish God was in control today because we wouldn't have to pay any taxes. Uh, sorry, you're wrong. Uh, they paid 26. But in this case, he's saying, I'm just wanting you to bring out of these three incomes that are brought to the temple, I want you to, to pay them so that the priest can have money to repair the temple. Now, let's keep moving here because this is very interesting. Verse 6, but, but by the 23rd year of King Joash, that's 23 years, okay, he started when he was, 20, when he was 7 years old, so how old is he now? 30 years old, okay? The priest had made no repairs on the house. Whoa! Therefore King Joash summoned Jehoiada the priest and the other priests and said to them, Why are you not repairing the house? Now therefore take no more money from your donors, but hand it over for the repair of the house. In other words, you don't need more money. You've got enough money. They've been given for all this time. Take the money they've given and start doing repair work. So the priest agreed that they should not take any, no money from the people and that they should not repair the house. Then Jehoiada the priest took a chest and bored a hole in the lid of it and set it beside the altar on the right side as one entered the house of the Lord. And the priests who guarded the threshold put, it in, all, put, in, put, it, put in it all the money that was brought into the house of the Lord." And whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's secretary and the high priest came up and they bogged, or I'm sorry, bogged. They bagged and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Then they would give the money that was weighed out in the hands of the workmen who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they paid it out to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord and to the masons and the stonecutters, as well as to buy timber and quarried stone for making repairs on the house of the Lord, and for any outlay, the repairs of the house. But there was not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, snuffers, bowls, trumpets, or any vessels of God, of gold or of silver from the money that was brought into the house of the Lord. Let's stop for just a second. So, he initially wanted the priest, as people would come and give their money to the priest, you take that money and do repairs. Well, they weren't doing that. They were, the money was not being appropriated properly. It was not organized. It was, there was not any administration to it. Some of the money was being taken by the priest and used by the priest. Other monies were probably put elsewhere. But the point is, it wasn't working. So... Joash came back and said to Jehoiada, the priest, the high priest, okay, we're going to do it differently. Let's set up a box where people will put their money when they come to temple. From those three incomes, they will put that money in that box. They will not hand it to the priest. Okay, put it in the box, and then you and a representative from the king's house will count the funds, and then you will distribute that money to the builders. This will guarantee that the money's put in the box goes straight to the builders so that the temple can be repaired. Okay? So, so he, he, came, he was smart enough to come back and say, okay, that didn't work. Let's find out something that will work. Okay? Now, 
the, the, it was so successful, by the way, if, if, let's, let's finish, I didn't finish that verse, so let's finish the verse. It'll, it'll, you'll see this. Okay, so verse, verse 14, for that was given to the workmen who were repairing the house of the Lord with it. Verse 15, and they did not ask for an accounting from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to pay out the workmen, for they dealt honestly. The money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priest, okay? Now, what's interesting, we find out later, that the money that was stored in that box was so great that they had enough to replace all those utensils that they said were not going to be paid for. In the end, they had enough money. So here's the point. The preachers need to keep their hands off the stinking money. I say that kind of fun in a fun way, but it's the truth. A pastor needs to pastor. He's not supposed to be the, the church bookkeeper or accountant or distributor of funds. He needs to stay away from it. And so that's what Jehoiada did and Joash. They set it up so that the priests themselves were not touching the money. The money went into the box. And then this man who was kind of like a, he wasn't a treasurer, doesn't say that, but he was a, a reputable person who could hold accountable everything that was in that box. And the priest, the high priest, Jehoiada, they were the ones that distributed the money. And when the people saw that the priests couldn't get their hands on the money and that the money in that box was going to be used for the right reason, all of a sudden the giving exploded. So much so that they had enough to do all the repair work and pay for the gold that was lost and everything else. And they isn't that awesome? Now, I got to tell you, that's the way a church ought to be run. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. I know some churches that use the Moses, the Moses model. That's their, they call it the Moses model. The Moses model is the pastor is the leader. There is no board. There's a board, but it's, it's a, you know, it's a, they don't make decisions. They look to the preacher and they sit there like this in their chairs and, Whatever he says, they just nod. He does what he wants. He's the, that's the Moses model. Moses led the Israelites. He didn't have a group of guys that did that. He did it. So they, that's what they call it, the Moses model. I think it's dangerous. I think it's a detriment to God's church for any man who's the pastor to run a Moses model. And then you got a model that's not even in the Bible that most churches run today. It's not even in the Bible. It comes out of our democracy. It comes out of our out of our, our institutions. And that is where you have a pastor, but you also have a board. And the board is made up of these guys who were voted because they're popular. Some were voted because they were good businessmen. Others voted because they seemed to have a kind heart. They, they, they're, they're, they're just good, godly men. And they kind of tell the pastor what they're going to do. And they run the show. Or if there's more than one pastor, the pastor's answer to them. Where in the Bible does it show that pastors are to answer to a board? There is no place. They don't answer to a board. They answer to God. And then you have what is a New Testament model of elders. Elders who are all in equal position. It's called a plurality of elders who 
the Scripture gives very clear criteria for someone who's an elder. And the difference between somebody who's an elder and somebody who's, a, is a, say, a deacon or a volunteer leader in the church is that elders must be able to teach the Bible. But all the other qualifications are for all the other leaders too. But this one team of leaders, including the pastors, that's the spiritual leadership team of the church. It's a team leadership. That's what we have at Vero Bible. And none of our elders touch the money. We get an updated report periodically from our finance team, which is made up of the same criteria for elders, but it's not required that they all be able to teach, although probably some could. But this finance team are men who are capable, and women, it could be women also, who are capable of handling the finances of the church. They've proven themselves in the community, in their personal lives, and the elders trust that team that they will handle the funds that come in. And we work in tandem. The finance team doesn't dictate how much money a particular ministry gets. They look to the elders to tell them, based on the ministry, what income should come in. And they manage all of it. They manage it. Pastors don't touch money at Vero Bible Fellowship. I'll go to this point and say this to you. I have no clue who gives how much in our church family. I don't have a clue. And it's not for me to know. I want to treat every... If I'm afraid that if I knew there was some big-time donor, the flesh in me would want to rise up and, man, get close to that person. Now, part of me says, no, you wouldn't do... Well, you don't know what you'd do. The temptation would be there, right? And then you got somebody over here who's always talking loud, criticizing everything, but they don't give anything. And now, you, now you're biased, right? I'm not biased. Because I don't know. And no other pastor knows. And no other elder knows. We simply get to sh shepherd the flock and treat everybody the same because we're all part of the body. Amen? To me, that is a biblical model for governance. But that's not the case here. And, and you've got Joash who's acting, doing what he wants, and then you've got the priest who had their hands in it, and then he saw that and he said, no, you guys stay away from it. And as soon as they stayed away from it, money was going where it ought to go, the people started giving again. It's beautiful. Verse 17. Now it shifts gears. Here we go. At that time, Haziel, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. Now, you might remember Gath. It's in the southern, it's below southwest of Jerusalem. Uh, it's in the southern Judah area. But back in the days of Samson, uh, Gath was the land of the Philistines. Remember David going up against Goliath of Gath, right? But when Haziel set his face to go up against Jerusalem, so he's moving into the territory of Judah. Joash, king of Judah, listen to this. They had just got all this money in. Joash, the king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his fathers, the kings of Judah, 
had dedicated and his own sacred gifts and all the gold that was found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent these to Hazael, king of Syria. Then Hazael went away from Jerusalem. He paid the guy off by taking the money that belonged in the house of the Lord. So Jehoiada's gone. He's on his own. He's already opened up the high places for people to worship other gods. And now he takes from what is holy, belonging to the Lord. By the way, that's the case. All the monies that come into Vero Bible Fellowship belong to the Lord. It's not our money. It's the Lord's money. And he took the Lord's money and he handed it over to a pagan king for fear that that pagan king would crush Jerusalem, not knowing that because he chose to fear man and not fear God and not turn to God and pray and ask God to provide protection from this king of Syria, because he didn't do that, God brought judgment. And so at first it looks like he gets away with it, but he doesn't because they ended up having to go to battle against Syria, and he's wounded in battle. And then his, his servants, could, could have been officials as well, those who served in his court, those who served in his palace, those who served him, when they saw that Syria had overtaken with, by the way, a very small army, they overtook the army of Israel, God's army. Why? Because God is the one who sent them in to destroy Israel or to destroy Judah. So when that happened, his own people turned on him and murdered him. That's how Joash went down. He murdered Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, and ended up being murdered by his own people. A man who started strong in the Lord because he put, his, he put his trust in those that God placed in his path. God had given him the priest as a friend and as a mentor, and he trusted the priest. And when the priest was gone, gone, he turned to these, these unrighteous leaders, and he followed after them. And God brought judgment. It is a very sad tale, a very sad tale. It says, verse 18, Joash, king of Judah, took all the sacred gifts and, and all these things and handed them over. Now, in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 again, but picking up at verse 23, I'll read it for you. Let me just read a couple verses. It tells the story, okay? At the end of the year, the army of Syrians came up against Joash. So, the king took the money, went back home, said, okay, let's, 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 let's take the money and we'll use it to strengthen our army, and then we'll go back up and take them. <laughs> Basically, that's what happened. He financed their strengthening of their army so they can come back and whip him. They came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people among the people and sent all their spoils to the king of Damascus. Verse 24, though the army of the Syrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered into their hand a very great army, because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus they executed judgment on Joash. 
go back to our final verses here in chapter 12 of 2 Kings, verse 19. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Judah? His servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash in the house of Milo on the way that goes down to Selah. It was Jazakar, the son of Shimeath, and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, his servants who struck him down so that he died. And they buried him with his fathers in the city of David, and Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. What a sad commentary on this man's life. He started out strong, and he finished weak. God actually had to have him taken out, and God brought judgment to Judah because of this king. Sad commentary. It was his own servants in the end who did him in. So the takeaway is that disobedience will bring a bitter reward. Oh, there will be a reward for disobedience. It's bitter. You don't want it. And what God's people sow, God's people will reap. Now that carries into the New Testament. What doesn't carry into the New Testament is that if you, if you uh, disobey God, that you'll be cursed with a curse. Remember how I, that was spoken in Malachi chapter 3 regarding tithing? You've, you've robbed me of my tithes and offerings, therefore you're cursed with a curse. That's Old Testament. The curse is not upon us, but it's worse. If you're disobedient and you lead others astray, it does bring on consequences that are bitter. And ultimately, judgment is still in the house of the Lord. He will judge. He will judge. I believe we're seeing a form of judgment right now in the United States of America. That we have people walking around thinking that they're an, a different sex or many sexes or no sex. That is somebody who has been handed over to a depraved mind, a reprobate mind, a mind that cannot think straight. We have people in government who cannot think straight. God handed them over. Why? Because it's a form of judgment. We're suffering because we've, we've, we've stopped fearing the Lord as a people. Breaks my heart. But here's the message for you and I in that. Keep sharing the gospel. Keep believing that God will win in the end, because He will. He's winning right now. You just don't see it. People are getting saved all the time. And, and we have to continue to be faithful stewards of God with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has put that in our hands to share. It was a command by Jesus, right? Not a suggestion, a command. So let's be about the kingdom work that God's given us. Amen? Any questions about this chapter? We've come to the bottom of the hour. Any questions? Yes, yeah, there, there, there are mounds and hills that have been dedicated for the worship of pagan gods by the Canaanites. And Israel simply took them and refurbished them so that they could worship God on the high places. And for a long time, God accepted it. 
because there was no temple. Um, they have statues, they have Asherah poles and things of that nature, uh, but, but I don't believe that they had buildings as They did have altars, that's correct, yes. Yes. And since the temple was not there, you know, prior to that time, uh, God allowed it. But once the temple was built, and again, let me remind you, the temple had been there for 124 years when Joash became king. And the high places still existed. So that meant all the kings before him, who, by the way, the kings of the, of the south, many of them were decent kings, but none of them completely wiped out all the high places. It's almost like, okay, God, you've gotten most of me, but I'm going to keep this one little piece for me. And in the end, that little piece became the big thing, and it took them out. It's sad, very sad. And by the way, remember, we're building up to the time when God's going to bring a great judgment against the northern kingdom of, uh, through the Assyrians and the southern kingdom through uh, the Babylonians. So we're coming into the captivity of God's people. That's coming up by the end of, the, of this book. Any other questions that you might have? Yes. Yes. Well, good. Well, great. Wonderful. I hope it spurs a result, not just entertainment, you know, for Christians, but that it would trigger in us a greater desire to go and share the gospel. Amen. Well, shall we pray? Lord, we do thank you uh, for this time together in the Word of God. We thank you that by the Holy Spirit who leads us, who guides us, who is the pledge of our salvation, that we are able to get up every day and serve you. We're able to communicate the things with people that you put in our hearts to share. The Holy Spirit will give us the words when we need them. And I pray, Lord, that we would be practicing exactly what you taught and what you commanded, that we would know the gospel, that we would know how to communicate the gospel, and that we would open our mouths when we're with people and share it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.